Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig. He's Logan, and we have a game to get ready for coming up this weekend. Lions, well, they're hosting their second home game of the season. Of course, the Commanders are there. That's what we're talking about it on this here Take Command podcast. And Logan, it was an interesting uh, game to go back and watch Detroit-Philly because Philly runs such unique offense. It was nice, though, because, well, now now I feel like I'm already started on my prep for next week because uh, the Eagles, of course, <laughs> are next on the Commander's schedule. Uh, but let's uh, let's dive straight into this preview. Let's start with when the commander's offense is on the field and, and what you saw from Detroit defensively. Um, and, and also, I know you went back and watched a little bit of last year because one of yeah. the things that I noticed in watching back the game is like that Eagles offense is is basically wholly unique in the NFL with how they run the football, the frequency with which they run it, and especially how much they use Jalen Hurts. And while Carson, I think there is some carryover between their sure. games, uh, it's certainly going to be a different defensive game plan what Detroit tries to do against Washington. Yeah, I think the thing when you watch a game like that, <clears throat> excuse me, is, um, you know, you get a lot of formational tells, kind of like how they want to line up to certain things. But even that is somewhat skewed because you can't, you can't, you have to account for the quarterback as a rusher. So obviously, like structurally, there's some very, very high level stuff you can glean from that game. But I think when you go back and watch, I watched the Arizona game, watched some of the Atlanta game from last year. And the reason I picked those games is because they kind of operate in similar sets to what um, Washington does, right? They have like kind of, they do a lot of 11 personnel. They do some run game stuff out of 12, which they like, a lot of jet sweep, just to kind of see how they're going to match. And I think the thing that stuck out to me is it felt very New Orleans-esque. You know what I mean? Um, This guy, the defensive coordinator, um, Aaron something. Aaron Glenn is from <clears throat> is from the, the New Orleans tree. So there's like this cover three structure with a little bit of game plan kind of coverages sprinkled in. So like kind of based on what they've seen, they, they might tweak one call. But, you know, at their core, they're a cover three team. They really rely on their their um, their, their corners to be excellent in that situation. Their defensive line is usually pretty good. Think about New Orleans, you know, Cam Jordan, that type of stuff. And then they get really, 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 really lots of really spicy on third down, like extremely spicy on third down. So, you know, I think last week Carson and the team did a very good job of staying out of third downs versus Jacksonville for the most part and executed when when they were there. It is a, I don't want to say a must, but it's as close to a must as you can get against the team because this is going to get crazy. They double A's, guys dropping out guys coming off the edge. There's only so many patterns you can run, but I feel like in the game I watched against Arizona, and now Arizona, 
is maybe unique because that's Kyler Murray. That's a way to kind of get to him. But holy cow, they were very, very aggressive, very, very dynamic. And um, they do a lot of weird stuff on third down. Even against Philly, they, do, they did some weird stuff on third down in terms of fronts, you know, overloading fronts, getting uh, trying to get Hutchinson in a good spot to kind of on a guard or a tackle in a one-on-one situation. Uh, but, but yeah, so to me right now, the key for the offense is stay out of third down or stay out of third down as, as often as you can. Because man, it's gonna that's gonna make the game very very challenging, um, just from a preparation standpoint. Yeah, they're gonna definitely throw a lot. I, I think when you look at what worked for Philadelphia last week, and obviously they put up thirty eight points. Um, you know, Jalen that the first couple of drives of the game. I mean, the first drive of the game, they moved the ball a little bit, and I don't think had a completion. Jalen Jalen caught a rhythm starting in the second drive uh, when they scored their first touchdown, but like he just ran it. And yeah. like the, the, his ability to break contain, uh, either, you know, one design runs and then, you know, on pass plays, break contain, get out and they convert a third and 15 where he just scrambles and he gets it. And that's not going to be in play for, for Washington. But one thing that I do think they were able to do well last week, and obviously the threat of Jalen's running enhances this so much, but, uh, they ran RPO pretty successfully. And I look at Terry and say, like, all right, where where can he get more touches uh, than the four targets he got last week? And he's a really really good slant runner, uh, big body, good hands. If he's, he you know he'll break a tackle and, and be able to keep running, and that's what AJ Brown did uh, to right. massive success last week. How repeatable is that part of the game plan? Do you think for Washington, considering Carson, we also know likes the RPO game, even if he's not going to pull sure. and run it, like. RPO doesn't have to be a quarterback run. Like the threat of the run comes from the handoff. So, and then it's a matter of reading it. If the linebacker plays up, you pull it, throw behind him. If he doesn't, then then you just hand the ball off. So, is that something you would anticipate being a heavy part of the game plan, and hopefully, a way to get Terry more touches uh, if they bite on the run? I mean, it is a big part of the Commanders' offense anyway. You know, regardless, like that's what, how they like to do a lot of their runs. They like to have an RPO element to it, and I think it's smart. You know, especially of a quarterback who can make decisions and Carson's shown an ability to do that. I, I will say, a lot of Philly's success comes from the fact that Jalen Hurst can run because you just just think about it numerically, right? If you're playing a six-man box versus a six-man running surface, or usually you would play plus one to stop the run. You need to play like another one because then you need to account for the quarterback. And it just opens up all of these different coverage opportunities or, the, you know, these ways to manipulate coverage. Right. So like you were mentioning uh, A.J. Brown. Right. So one of the things that stuck out to me is they're running this kind of RPO zone read look heavy play action. And it's like drift city and it looks like a slant kind of right. But like that right. is open in the middle of the field because of the action, because the quarterback has to run because you have to have so many bodies allocated there. So whatever they did from a running the football standpoint is going to be uniquely Philly. And the other thing about Philly that's really unique is that offensive line is a bunch of juggernauts, man. I don't, it's hard for me to envision a better group in the NFL than Philly. I know they had an injury, but even the backup guy comes in, he's a good run blocker, struggle a bit in pass protection, but like that, that is who they are. They've built that team kind of by accident into one of the best blocking units in the NFL in terms of blocking runs, blocking the runs they want to run. And again, having Hurts in the backfield makes it really different. So not only does that affect how they run the football, but also affects how they throw the football. I think that's a really important point to point out, right? So I think I think it's it'd be really tempting to say, oh, Philly had a lot of success. Let's try to lean into some of this. And I think they will. But I think it's important to say what made us successful. How do we get our numbers advantage? How do we stress the defense? And so I think back to what they did week one, you know, using Curtis Samuel as a decoy. That's another way to kind of open up that drift spot, right? You fake a jet sweep, 
the guy, the defender to that side, the force player, the safety has to step up to match that. Maybe work something in behind it, work a play action off that, work a play action off of, you know, a counter. They ran that a whole bunch last week. So finding ways to to kind of exploit that in the context of your offense based on what they did, right? And there's ways to do it. You just got to think about it a little bit more acutely. A great example of that is um, LA, for example, right? They don't have a running quarterback. And two years ago, they started this jet sweep where every single play had a jet sweep action on it. And when they first started doing it, defenses were like, well, we have to allocate bodies to this just sweep action. And it helps with the play pass. It helps with your run game. So what's our what's this team's wrinkle? Last week, I think it was the RPO with a little bit of jet sweep. Maybe it's something different this week. But I definitely think Curtis Samuel will be an element of that. Yeah. How does when Samuel shifts into the backfield affect the numbers, too? Can they get something similar to some of that effect? Or is, you know, like obviously you know, if he's back there, the quarterback is still a non-accounted for player. So sure. the numbers don't work exactly the same, but like well, how, how does that work to potentially open up that drift and, and, and get some of the same reactions out of Detroit's defense and open up Jahan, Terry, and whoever else is running, running the slants in behind? Well, I did a breakdown on, on that for Wednesday's take command. And I think the thing that stood out to me about it is like, I, I never understood what the value was of bringing a, a receiver. Cause like, why not just keep your run count the same? But when they motioned, uh, they did it twice, when they motioned Curtis into the backfield, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, maybe this was just not having prepped it, but they kept the coverage player outside of the box as an overhang player, right? So the the run front stayed at six men, even though you've brought a seventh man into the box. So again, if Gibson can block anybody, like fall down and cut somebody or just kind of, you know, whatever, be a decoy. Be in the way. You are plus you're plus, which is very, very rare from a run game standpoint. So the fact that that's how they respond, I, I would expect Detroit not to do that. I, I think they showed enough of Curtis Samuel in the backfield. Now, if they if they do do that, let's say they match numbers-wise, that's an advantage for Washington also because Curtis Samuels can run a choice from the backfield, right? I think that's why they kept the safety in the overhang position because you think he's going to motion back and then run a choice route and you want a good coverage player there. Let's say Detroit says, screw that, they hurt you know, Curtis hurt uh, Jacksonville as a rusher. Let's match him in the box. Again, that speaks to an advantage for Washington. And now it just depends on can Scott Turner kind of be one step ahead in terms of playing chess and uh, playing chess versus checkers. And I think he can because he showed a nice ability to do that. But that is, again, it's a great point by you. That's an advantage of having that person in the uh, uh, Curtis Samuel in the backfield on your team because it does make those decisions a little bit harder for defenses, which is something that I guess, you know, to be totally frank, I undervalued when I was thinking about his impact on this offense. Yeah. Playing those number of games is, is huge. I mean, it is in many ways, the key to successful offenses is getting yourself the advantage before the snap and having your quarterback know it because it makes the decision-making process a lot easier for him. All right. Taking away some of this like very specific RPO, which, you know, again, it should be a part of their game plan and potentially a big part of their game plan. Uh, this weekend, but like, w- if if you just kind of take more of a blank slate approach, yeah, where where would you attack? Where would you avoid on this Lions defense if you're Washington? Well, I think like with any team in the NFL, they're having a little bit of struggle at linebacker. They have a young player, uh, Rodriguez, I think is his name, number forty four. Rod- See, this is why you, you needed to watch Hard Knocks, where you'd know all about Malcolm Rodriguez, aka Rodrigo. Okay, yeah. Well, I don't. This is I got to watch him. He's a good football player. Yeah, very assignment sound. But he's a rookie. Uh, Alonzo's the other guy they have back there. I think he's coming off of an injury. Got nicked up in the game a little bit. But 
that's the level of the defense that I'm trying to attack always. I just think that they are in the worst spot to match up, right? I think you get a lot of your cover three beaters, which is excellent, because at least to my eye, a lot of what this offense does well is attack cover three. So I think that you should expect cover three. You should attack cover three, which is what this offense, at least conceptually what I've seen so far, seems to have a lot of stuff in that does well in that department. And I think the linebackers are, I think Rodriguez is a good football player, but he's young. So give him a lot of stimulus. Let's see if we can get Gibson in one-on-one situations with him. Test their rules. I guarantee you they'll coverage bust, right? And I don't think their defensive line, I think there's some talented pieces there. Like McNillis is an interesting kind of run-stopping player. Hutchinson obviously has got some talent. Um, but it it was underwhelming. Now, is it underwhelming because they played Philadelphia and Philadelphia is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL? Probably. Is it underwhelming because they do so much zone read and RPO that it kind of makes that group inert? Also, probably. But again, like it wasn't like, oh my gosh, they've got this monster over there, Khalil Mack or Joey Bosa. It was like, this is a good football player, but definitely manageable. So I'd say do what you did last week, run the football, find ways to get that middle linebacker, though that linebacking core unsettled and find matchups against that group. And I think a lot of that cover three stuff is going to be really good for you. Now, like I said, they run a little bit more cover two than like Jacksonville does, for example. But if they're running cover two, you should run the football. You know what I mean? Like, like find a way yeah. to kind of get them out of their key, like their sink, their keys. And I, so that that's kind of my thousand foot view on the game plan as of right now. I would I would expect to be cover three, attack the linebackers, and I'm not overly concerned about the defensive line pass rush. Hudson did so some twitch and some flash, but I definitely think it's like a manageable type of player if that makes sense. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he matches up. Because, I mean, he had a couple monster drives in the preseason where he looked phenomenal. Yeah. And you're like, oh, he's a good player. A second break. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if Cosme can handle him, Leno can handle him, because they'll move him around a little bit probably. You know, if those guys can handle him one-on-one, then, you know, that makes your life a lot easier. If all of a sudden you have to chip and, you know, leave tight end, leave running back in, it takes away some of those weapons and some of those guys that you want to attack those linebackers with, especially, you know, again, tight ends and linebackers or tight ends and running backs in those one-on-one matchups or just at the very least in the middle of the field. I'm also curious to see if they have any more, like, for lack of a better word, tricks up their sleeve. Like, mm. you know, last week they have the screen to Armani. They, they do that kind of stuff. And, like, Deami Brown doesn't play at all. Do you try to dial up a deep shot for Deami since he didn't play at all? And, you know, you may be able to slip him in, you know, underneath. You know, what, other, what else do you have for Jahan? What else do you have for Terry? Obviously, we saw a lot of the bag with Curtis last week, but there, there's still going to be more. And Curtis is just tough to defend in general. Like, that's, yeah. that's the thing about Samuel that I think is, is underappreciated and why they, like, this is what they had in mind when they signed him was a guy who can not only just play wide receiver, but could legitimately in a pinch play running back. And so getting him those carries, getting him those touches, getting him uh, on the move, jet sweep action, like that's going to happen every single game. And, and watching how defenses react to it is is going to help dictate where the ball goes elsewhere. But like step one in a lot of way is what they do with Samuel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, like he's he's a big cog, right? You know, you have all these weapons. I think Samuel, Gibson, McKissick to a certain extent, I think all of those pieces are going to be very, very critical um, in terms of finding those mismatches, right? I think if, you know, they do play an extra linebacker versus 12 personnel, can you get Logan Thomas or Armani matched up against that that kind of extra cover player in that position or that extra kind of run player in that position? I, and I guarantee you, Logan, Armani, even Bates can probably win that matchup. So again, like that's where, again, we talked about this on on our last show. 
can Scott Turner stay innovative while still keeping his offensive identity? And that becomes a really big question, I think, um, and kind of maybe the most important question going into this game because, you know, he showed tremendous talent early in the game, but then they kind of normalized back to something resembling more of an NFL offense, right? So can you still push that envelope? Can you find those little things to kind of give you an edge formationally, personnel-wise, conceptually, right? Um, and uh, and you just mentioned a couple of guys that I think are, are key to that, right? You know, we didn't talk about Terry or Jahan, but those guys kind of play outside. They're your traditional pieces. Those people on the on the in uh, that were operate on the interior are more of your kind of chess pieces where you find those mismatches, quite frankly. So, again, yeah, using those parts uh, successfully. By the way, fun matchup on the outside, Terry versus Okuda. Those two guys out of Ohio State together, so they know each other pretty well. He's playing better right now. He he didn't play great, but he had a solid game. And then I think another guy like we we haven't really talked about is the guy in uh, their safety who got ejected is Tracy Walker III. That guy, he he had 13 tackles, tackle for loss, and a sack, like playing safety. So, again, that's a guy to kind of – keep an eye on in terms of being like, I think everyone thinks of Hutchinson as a playmaker, but he's a guy who's definitely making plays in that defense. What, where should like the aggressiveness meter be ratcheted up to? Like, is this a team that you feel confident that the commanders can put together long drives against and, and they will mess up before the commanders do, or do right. they need to try to take some shots because this defense is going to be really sound and, and ultimately like they won't beat themselves. I think it's hard to say. It's hard to know exactly. And the reason I say that is because what they showed against Philly is not who this defense is, right? I think they're much more, I think they're much better coached than that. And I think they're much more physical. They're much, they, they, to me, this team, I've never seen a team that kind of resembles their coach's personality more than Detroit. Like when you watch them offensively, it's like very Dan Campbell. When you watch them defensively, you can tell there's that, that, that kind of grind and grit, which makes me think, that this is going to be a much tougher matchup for this team, right? Those mistakes that Jacksonville gave you, jumping off sides, the, the penalties, I don't think are going to be there. So you are going to offensively have to kind of be consistent, be well-coached, be disciplined, and and execute, right? Like there was a couple times in the game where Carson's missed some open throws. I think those throws come back to bite you in the butt against this team because I just think they're – I think this team is better. They're just yeah. better coached. They're, they're where they're supposed to be. They play with an edge that that I like. I think this is a different Detroit than a lot of fans might have been expecting coming coming from the offseason. Like this is a matchup that I think is very very sneaky and it's going to be very very challenging. Like like the Commanders are going to feel this game offensively and defensively when this is over because of the the roster that they built there. Yeah, and look, they're favored. Like Detroit is favored by a point yeah. and a half in this game. You know, obviously Vegas uh, typically gives a home field advantage. Uh, typically that is three points, which tells you that they think the commanders are a little better if they played on a neutral field, but not by much. And and with the home field advantage, the other advantage, you know, they have is like the inherent mental advantage of desperation. Like sure. the commanders feel probably pretty good about that, that performance. They're one and oh on the year. Uh, they know they got a huge division game coming up. They're getting asked about what would it mean to go two and oh, and the lions are like, Hell no, we're not doing this again. We are not right. going to be a team that that is flirting with zero and sixteen like we were last year uh, until I think they didn't win a game till at least November, if not December. Um, but they kept fighting, which by the way is a tribute to Campbell. But they yeah. don't want to go zero and two. Like they think they can be good, and they know if they're zero and two, that's a hole they don't want to be in. So they're going to come out 
you know, scratch claw fight. I'll pre- insert your cliche here, but like right. that inherent desperation is an advantage for Detroit uh, that you can certainly speak to as someone who who was on teams that went one and zero, when are on teams that were zero and one, far more than me as someone who talks about them. Yeah, and I and I also want to point out that I think this offense is more talented than Detroit. Right? Does that make sense? Like they're more talented a, than Jack. Like yeah, the more, Detroit's it, more the, talented than Jacksonville. No, no, no. Like this, like the Commanders' offense is more oh, talented okay. than the Detroit Detroit defense. defense. Like, gotcha. This is an advantage. I want to make it clear that I think this is an advantage for this team. But if you look back and watch the film, which I've done like more than I care to admit at this point, there Jacksonville helped them out. Can this group operate at a high level of efficiency for the whole game? Because that's what this this defense is going to demand, right? That's what they do in New Orleans. That's the same philosophy. They're going to make you execute in tough situations. And again, I think I want to see that. Can Scott Turner bring that out of them? Can Carson bring that out of them? And I, I think that's why this is a really interesting litmus test for this group because they are more talented. They should win. The receivers are better. The skill guys are better. The matchup players are better. The O-line is probably, if not better, I'd say better than the defensive line, right? This should be a, a favorable matchup, but can they handle adversity? Can they push through it? And can they get, can they turn this to be enough of an advantage that they can compensate a little bit for maybe a lackluster, lackluster performance by the defense? So a uh, fun, fun connections uh, real quick before we flip the field and talk about the commander's defense against this Detroit offense. Uh, two guys that have Washington connections on the Detroit staff. Uh, Aubrey Pleasant was here for a long time. Oh, yeah. Aubrey is the uh, assistant DB's coach. And then I did not realize this until I was watching the game back and saw him on the sideline with a headset and then went back and looked it up. But Sean Dion Hamilton, who was with Washington after he got drafted, uh, eventually cut and and signed in Detroit, got cut in the first round of cuts, or maybe it was the second when they went from 85 to 80. I think it was the second round of cuts. Got cut by Detroit. But they liked him so much, they're like, look, man, we think you'd be a great coach. And in Hard Knocks, there's this incredible thing. I actually would be curious if you ever had this happen when you were a player. There's a day of practice where Dan Campbell says, I'm going to be the only coach out there, and I'm only blowing the whistle. I'm only keeping the train on the tracks. Nobody's coaching. It's a players-only practice. You guys are running your own individual drills. You're running your own team drills. You're running everything. You're calling plays. You're literally doing everything. And it was really cool to watch That's that happen cool. on Hard Knocks and see how the players reacted, who steps up, you know, who organizes things. And it's a test of your leadership. It's a test of your organization. It's a test of your dedication. And the guy who stepped up to call the defensive plays for the Lions was Sean Dion Hamilton. And they cut him the next day and said, do you want to be a coach? And he said, yes. Uh, and so Sean Dion Hamilton is an assistant uh, inside linebackers coach. He's on one of the, the coaching fellowships that they give uh, through the NFL. And Sean Dion Hamilton is now on that staff for the Lions. Holy cow. First off, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like How you coaches, would have thrived in that. Like you would have, you would have been the OC. That. Well, like, so, I mean, I, I did that every day after practice. We'd get everybody together. We'd review the stuff from the day, all the young guys. But, I mean, to that takes some courage. That takes a lot of trust in your team by Dan there. Holy cow. So, and it was a good practice, I'm assuming, or like what yeah, happened? Yeah, they were, every, all the coaches were really happy with it. Gosh, that's awesome. Good well, job. The, the offensive coaches were more happy than the defensive coaches because the offense kind of whooped them. But, like, they were happy with the structure and everything, for sure. Yeah. I mean, holy cow, though. Like, that is that is I'm, I'm like blown away by that that they did that then that and that worked and that they had the maturity to do that it just speaks to that roster and that also speaks to like what he's done there in terms of cultivating leadership like i wonder where he it, got that oh do they, you think they do that in new orleans 
I I wonder. I don't know. Um, that would be a good question to ask to ask Campbell. Um, that's really. I mean, that's like that's my dream as a coach. That's like if if you're coaching a team is just to be like, hey, I'm calling the periods. You guys are taking care of everything else, and just to see if it was sharp and clean and and what they did. Ooh, man, I'm fired up now. How they fired how up. they coach each other up. Um, yeah, so yeah man, Sean, that's really cool. Yeah. So. Him, yeah, in terms of like inside knowledge, the rosters turned over a bunch. Um, even since Sean Dion was here, nevertheless, since Aubrey left, I, I think the only guy left from Aubrey's time here is like Tress. Uh, so uh, not not a lot of advantage. I was but here with cool Aubrey, ties. so it was. It's been I a while. loved Aubrey. Aubrey's one yeah. of my favorite guy. Like one of I used to do this interview series uh, called uh, "A Conversation with a Coach on a Couch," and I think the best one I ever did was Aubrey Pleasant. Incredible stuff, dude. We should do that on the show if if they'll let us. They won't, but that'd be I, cool to get that back. Because like I, I think the I think the, I the people who the people who know stuff on the team, it's like it's not. I mean, Ron knows stuff. Obviously, it's Ron's team. For sure. But like, it's the coordinators, it's the position coaches. Like that's where you get the the detail and the minutia, and that's like where you get the really good insight on on the you roster. Do, and and I, it's also so important to like learn the backstories of those guys yeah. and and in credit to, to Ron uh, girls, you have Jennifer King on staff as well. Yep. Like what is your football story? Like who are your influences? Like if I'm interviewing you in that scenario, if you're a coach, like I would learn more about your relationship with Kyle and like what you took yeah. from him over the years, which would obviously like shape the way you see the game and you sure. start to see the identity of a team come together. So it was a really cool series I got to do over the course of the year. Um, you know, we had McVeigh on, I think it was 2016 or 20, it had to be 2016 when I did it. Um, because Sean was gone after that. Uh, mm. so, you know, it, it was, it was a fun thing to do, uh, each year, uh, got a chance to talk to, you know, all these different coaches. The one guy, the one guy who would never do it was Bill Callahan. No, uh, that doesn't make, that doesn't surprise me at all. Actually. No. <laughs> uh, Bill was apparently not my biggest fan, uh, of you never, no, he never, he didn't like uh, that I criticized that I thought he worked his guys too much and that's why they got hurt all the time. And I was like, well, I mean, that's not I, untrue. I have the evidence uh, by the fact that your guys get hurt all the time. So, well, he, I mean, so, okay, the, the, I know we're like way off topic here, but like, that's all right. It's a podcast. Callahan, Being Bill off topic Callahan, is uh, kind of what a podcast is for. Bill Callahan had the best ability that I've ever seen to make a bunch of badasses out of offensive linemen. And part mm -hmm. of it, was because he would just grind the ever-loving poop out of them. Just oh, every day they'd be out there 30 minutes early. Every day they'd be out there 30 minutes late. Starters are taking every single rep. And so they galvanized, and they all hated Bill. They all hated him because it was like, man, this guy sucks. And that was that was so cool. But I think the thing that where he fell down a little bit is you can do that for maybe a year, maybe two, and then you got to pull it back, right? you got to say, you're, you're together now. Now i got to start taking care of you. And he never had the switch that was like, nope. it's we. He it was always grind, and like those guys, like Morgan. You talk to Brandon. You talk to Spencer Long, uh, Sean Levat. Any of those guys, Trent Trent Williams. Like they, that is the most imp impactful coach on their career, one hundred percent because of what they do from a technical standpoint. But it's just you got to at some point you got to realize like they're veterans now. They're not twenty three, twenty four, twenty five years old. They need breaks you know they need a little bit of rest and so yeah fascinating case study about being able to switch your philosophy as a coach once you've kind of got that 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 thing ground down you know i never uh i never got to ask him about it because he would never agree to the interview and then when he became a head coach he was always very nice at the podium but uh word got back to me that he was not super fond of uh my takes on on such things so you well, know you, do, that's you are job. known for you are known for like 
just saying whatever you think you know it's not like not that it's like un unlike calculated but like i would be like i'd hedge a little bit i'm a, I'm a good hedger you're a guy who's less hedgy you're like trying to hit the ball out of the park i'm just trying to get on base you know? I, hey i pick my spots sometimes <laughs> when you know you're right you got to swing hard it's like if you're sitting dead red on a fastball now we're now we're in baseball now we're doing now we're doing grant and danny's now, baseball podcast we're if you're totally sitting dead right on a fastball and it comes in hot see ya we're yeah, going we're i don't going. do that i'm hitting doubles yeah you're just like i'm gonna make contact even though it's the exact pitch that i Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take a man podcast here from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. Played ten years in the NFL. I'm Craig Hoffman. I covered some some teams. Now I talk into microphones on the radio every single day, three to six. Yeah, a lot. So much microphone talking. It's because it's because I swing for the fences sometimes. Uh, <laughs> let's take a look at when the Commanders' defense is on the field. Jared Goff and, and the Lions' offense. I think the number one question uh, to which we will, at, you know, at the time we're taping this, we don't know DeAndre Swift's status for the game, but he apparently suffered an ankle injury at some point, uh, either in the game or in practice earlier in the week. But he missed Wednesday's practice, uh, and, and that was a surprise. And, and, you know, reporting came out that there is an injury there. It wasn't like a veteran maintenance day kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, uh, you know, what, what did you see from this offense that ultimately did score 35 points against what we think is a pretty good Philly defense? So, I mean, we got to let's talk about that this in two phases. So, let's talk about the run game first and then we'll talk about the pass game because I think yeah, the run their, game is probably more significant. Their run game is nasty and it is productive. Yeah, it is productive and I think so this this offense actually reminds me a lot of like kind of like a version of Kyle's offense. I think the the pass concepts are very similar. I think the philosophy of like running the football early uh, and often is part of his philosophy to kind of get you into different coverage shells. And the other thing that they do, which I think is very, very important, and not, not all teams do this, like the commanders don't really do this to the same level of attention that like Kyle or Green Bay or, um, you know, even Detroit does, is they want to get the defensive backs involved in the run fits as much as possible. And so what I mean by that, so let's just take the first play, um, that, or the, it's the second play of the game. They run this play. It, to me, it's like influence. It's trap with an mm-hmm. influence wham block on the three technique, right? So the tight end's off the ball. And he's whamming the three technique. But in order to get the three techniques eyes to the backfield, they basically pull the, the left guard. So it feels like trapped to that guard. And then he doesn't see the wham and you get this nice thing. So that's blocked up really well, right? But the outside receiver who's um, on Ross and Brown yeah. does an excellent job of coming in and cracking the safety. And safeties are people who are wanting to tackle. So think about like our safeties, Cam Curl, you know, um, Forrest, like even Percy Butler, 
Bobby McCain. Those guys are, they're wired a little differently. They're built a little different. And then, so the person who has to replace that fit is now the corner. And the corners mm-hmm. against in Philadelphia did a bad job of, of replacing. They just did a bad job. And so to me, like that's something that I, if I'm Ron, I'm emphasizing this week. I'm like, if you are a corner on this team, like put your mouthpiece in because like you're going to have to make some tackles and that's okay. And there's ways you can mitigate that. Like there was a play, like I think it was four or five plays later where, you know, um, who's the guy number seven, uh, Hassan Reddick runs yeah. up the field because he thinks it's pass and he opens this gaping void and he makes the tackle really hard. So if I'm, if I'm Ron, I'm saying if you're, if this is Montez, if it's Casey, this is James, be disciplined here, close this down so that the run, so that, a, the running back doesn't have a clear <clears throat> run to the corner and that the corner has an easier tackle. So that's something to keep an eye on. They, it wasn't like, and again, this is t- to be fair to Detroit, their offensive line, they struggle, like the interior struggles in pass protection, but they are physical sons of guns now. Panay Sewell is, a, is, I think, a budding star at the offensive line position. I think you're going to be talking about him as maybe the best offensive lineman in the NFL in a couple of years. Him, Rashawn Slater, Maybe they get Tristan Wirfs down in Tampa Bay. That's kind of the tier of offensive linemen that he's a part of right now. Kind yeah. of that group that's going to replace Trent Williams and Tyron Smith when they retire, right? So obviously very high praise. He's physical, man. He's physical in the run game. I've never seen like three techniques just get blown out of there on, on down blocks the way he does. So they're going to have, again, Payne, Allen, if he plays, like get your mind right, get in there. Let's start making some plays. Um, and I think, but I do think they are, they're human beings, they're mortal. And if you kind of coach these schemes up, I think you can match them really well. Right. And I think that's something that's important to kind of keep in perspective, despite them being physical, despite kind of the philosophy, like if you think about it, Philly didn't have the luxury of knowing what Detroit was going to run. Washington does. They know what, what kind of what they want to be. They want to be this wham trap team. They ran that probably three or four times, a, a variation of that little bit of outside zone. They love counter. They love power kind of like that. So instead of being like, think, think more like kind of old school mash as opposed to Kyle Shanahan stretch, they do do it, but they don't excel at it. And then right. they'd have some nice, like little game plan runs, like the touchdown uh, that you we were talking about on the other day, like where they, it's, um, it's like offset week with the tight end. Yeah. Strength to the right. It's a fourth down and they go to a, yeah. a formation that they like drop from the Madden video games in 2007 because nobody right. had run it in five years. And, and like, yeah. you know, near far, what, like one of those kinds of things, pro set. Like, yeah. I was like, this it's, is yeah. awesome. Let's yeah. go. And so, I, the, in Kyle's terminology, it's a weak set, right? So mm-hmm. he cuts the outside linebacker and then usually you would kind of run out. Kyle would run outside zone off of that. But what they do is they cut the outside linebacker, they pull the guard and then the corner Again, this is bad fit by the corner and the safety. He's leveraged himself really far inside the receiver who's in a tight split. So the receiver in a tight split just blocks down and makes a big pile there. And then the guard who's pulling to space is one-on-one with the corner. And the corner is like, you know what? I'm good. So he yeah, just kind of like, the, the, the guard didn't have to block anybody. Sure. And I think it's that's, again, it. like that's, that's what, a, in my opinion, that's what a good run scheme does is they get good blockers, good runners, on bad tacklers and people who don't want to tackle. So what is the game plan from Ron's perspective? Like versus that look, I'm like, if we see this look, if I'm Bobby, I'm like widen out, widen out a little bit. You can rally to the stuff inside, trust the guys inside to make the play. You need to make sure that we can force this back. So that's, that's just an alignment issue just right there, you know? And I think all that stuff is, um, 
those are the details. It takes 11 against a good running team to stop the run. And that's what it's going to take against uh, Detroit. The good news is that the Washington corners are willing to tackle. I mean, the, yeah. unfortunately, the leading tackler last week was William Jackson III uh, yeah. by a lot. Yeah, very um, physical. Had, yeah, he's, he's physical. He can come up, uh, but also got uh, a few too many balls completed on him and making instant tackles. But at least he tackled. At least he didn't give up uh, the ball and, and a run after catch. Uh, Kendall's certainly willing to come up. Uh, he's shown that through the years. There's so many highlights of him blowing up screens, things like that, but also can play in the run game. I mean, St. Juice is the interesting one. And or do they play a lot more Buffalo? And do we see a lot more Percy mm-hmm. Butler I think then then we also get into the question of like if Cam is back is he in that Buffalo spot because maybe you trust him a little bit more with Forrest and McCain behind him and how do those guys go the the other you know obvious big thing is if you're playing a run heavy team you hope your linebackers get a lot more involved and after you know Cole and Jamin both have five tackles or less last week and, and you know Cole's a guy that you expect to have well over 100 tackles this year you'd hope Jamin gets up near that number two you got to hope that those guys get a lot more involved this week I know this defense isn't necessarily designed around the linebackers, but these guys definitely should be more involved this week than they were last week, statistically speaking. Yeah, and I think it's also important to kind of remember that historically when they're they're facing teams that like to run the football, they like to get into their five down front. That's like who they – like that's like kind of their solution. So, who would be your personnel in that? Because part of the reason they draft yeah. Fedarian Mathis is because be he kind of is like the closest they had to a nose. And in a in a that Cinco package, you have someone. I mean, sometimes they line him up slightly offset, so it winds up being a one technique instead of a nose. But right. you know, you need that big body. And like, well, Daniel Wise can play three technique and maybe even a little bit of one technique. I don't know that he's big enough to really take, you know, he's not the ideal guy, I should put it that way, to be in the center of that. So, like, what's your personnel grouping if they play that Cinco package? Uh, and is, you know, is the new guy, Donovan Jeter, that, that guy at 320 pounds? Yeah, the answer is I don't know. I mean, I think that's why it, I'm, I was talking to somebody in the building the other day, and they were like, oh, you know, we're putting a little more. Cinco is, you know, it's always been a part of what they do, but it's something that they're kind of toying with a little bit more. And I was just like, Who's doing what, you know, like, cause I haven't seen practice yet. So, you know, like you said, I, I would probably think if, if I'm just kind of going off the cuff, like pain to nose, wise to three, Allen to three, and then kind of doing that. And again, like in their Cinco package, they don't often have two linebackers in, right? It's usually Cole and usually the Buffalo nickel player. So whether that's Percy Butler, whether that's Benjamin Zay Juice, whether that's Cam Curl. So I don't know if, I don't know if Jamin's going to play a lot this week because like, if that's who they want to be and that's what they want to do, obviously like, you know, that doesn't fit with him being on the field more. And then the other thing to think about is Mayo. Mayo excels at stopping the run, right? So if you want a guy who's excellent at at fitting runs and, and and getting after guys in the run game, like keep an eye on, like that's something my antenna would be up for is him playing a little bit more this game because he is, he's very, very good in those situations. And I think the thing about Detroit is they now we're going to talk about the pass concept a little bit is yeah. they run i guess i don't want to say vanilla but very kind of by the book pass concepts you know what i'm saying like it's very like oh this is what san francisco runs at oh, oh you know i've seen that before again jacksonville runs that you know and they they do try to get amon ross st brown the ball like on choice routes and co concepts so like corner out to the same side and he's very good at that he attacks the middle of the field, not a super twitched up guy like Kirk. So the big play potential is a little bit decreased by that position. But, you know, I think yeah. you could Just get don't, away. Don't with... let him free in a straight line. He's not as twitchy, but he's got some straight line speed for sure. Yeah, like he, and he's good. And he's got a good feel for zones and he's got a good feel for that double yeah. stick. 
it just plays a little different than Christian Kirk, who's like, you know, he's horse powered up and is just like, Vroom, you know what I mean? Like he's running angles as opposed to, you know, um, Amon Ross St. Brown's kind of playing basketball with you a little bit more, right? Little, yeah. A little more Jordan Reed to his game, just to yeah. kind of give you some kind of comparison there, as opposed to like, you know, Deshaun Jackson, if, if that if that comparison makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think that's, and again, like Hawkinson's in there, so the matchup for the linebacker is going to be a little bit tough, but th- there's not like these crazy game plan concerts. You're like, oh man, that's really going to give us fits if they run that. You know, it's, it's more like this is what we did on day install five to 10, these are dropbacks. This is what we're going to run. At least that's what it looked like to me. They do try to get Hawkinson the ball and some isolation stuff. He didn't yeah, excel with that again. For him. Yeah, yeah didn't week. excel in that situation. I felt like against corners and stuff. But you know, let's say let's say Mayo is playing just as an example, and he has to play a man to man. I think they feel very good about that matchup, or even Jamin. So, um, just something to keep an eye on. That I, if I'm Detroit, I'm like, let's find ways to get him more, get him cooking. Amon Ra is kind of their main guy. DJ Shark has some very explosive ability into to his game. Very fast, big guy. Um, the other guy, um, Josh Reynolds. Name, uh, yeah, had, Reynolds. Had nice game last week. Is sneaky good. He's sneaky yeah. good. He's probably like a two or a three in most offenses. Probably a three, but he's a two there, and he's got some ability. He's tall. He's long. He's smooth. So again, it's not like this high level bunch of playmakers. You know, it, they're good playmakers, but you probably are missing your AJ Brown your Terry McClure into that mix to kind of make it really go. So um, it doesn't, it, it feels like, I don't want to say toothless because it's a good group. It's a solid group, but it lacks like that killer that you're like, Oh, we really got to make sure we're prepped for this guy. And that killer, I guess last week was swift. So if he right. doesn't play then, and, and I also want to point this out too. Running back production is directly correlated to the offensive line. This offensive line is yeah. good at blocking. So like, that to me is the like maybe that's their killer is the offensive yeah. line in the run. I mean, Jamal Williams is a good backup running back. He's been a starter in this league and is like kind of a one B level player. Um, if he's your number one starter, you probably want a little bit more. If he's your number two, you've got one of the best twos in the league. And, and right. but if he's got to start some games for you, and if Swift is out injury wise, then then that's what's going to be. But if your O line's great, like he's still capable of a hundred yard rushing day. What's sure. probably less likely to happen is the big play. And that's where Swift yep. last week had some monster carries uh, where he breaks one, gets out. He's so quick. He accelerates so well. Um, and, and that's where those big plays happen. Like if you can accelerate, you know, break one tackle and before the next guy comes, like re-accelerate to top speed, uh, then then that's how you get away, obviously, from the guys chasing you. And DeAndre well, Swift has that ability. Um, he's also pretty solid out of the backfield uh, from, from yeah, my memory. And, and, yeah, yeah so, um, but, you know. But- to that point, though, like, yeah. if you go back and watch the game, and if you have time, you should definitely do it. He was not getting touched. That old line did a great job. You know, on his 50-yard right. run, no one touches him. He just runs to daylight, which is great. I mean, they're well coached. Their yeah. running backs coach is Deuce Daly. Like, Deuce yeah. has been a really successful uh, running backs coach and run game coach for a long time in this league. He was part of that, the Philly Super Bowl winning team uh, yeah. as, as, a, um, as a coach and obviously played in a long time himself. Yeah. So it, it's no surprise that, they are, you know, their running backs, you know, understand their tracks, understand the timing, understand like those things to make, the, you know, it's one thing for an offensive line to, to be really good, but then you need the running back to like understand what the line is doing and, and take, take his time and, and hit the hole at the right time and all that kind of stuff. And it's no surprise yep. that they have that considering their combination of skill and coaching. Sure. And I think, yeah. So I think, I think that's kind of my thought on the offense. And I think they're a good, they're a better, they're a more consistent offense than Jacksonville. 
and I think it's going to sound crazy to say it, it's because golf is a little bit more consistent than Trevor Lawrence. Mm. They, I think the playmakers are probably about the same to be, if I'm really like just thinking about it, maybe a little bit better. So I think the challenge is it's going to really fall on the defense. Like I said, I think the offense is better than the Detroit defense. I think this, I think this, um, it's pretty you even know, like Detroit, yeah. Detroit, Detroit offense and, and commander's defense, especially in its right. current state until chase gets back. Like it's pretty even. And I think especially on the back end, I'm a little concerned. And one of the reasons I'm concerned is because last last week, a lot of the pressure came from sweat. He did an excellent job cultivating pressure. Um, and that's not going to be as ready this week because Taylor Decker and uh, Panay Sewell are very, very good football players. Right. Yeah. So if you had like a must have it down late in the game, where are you lining sweat up? Are you lining him up over Sewell or Decker? Probably Decker, I think. I think that's. I just was again. I haven't watched a ton of Sewell, but like I was just very impressed with his strength, his footwork, his positioning, his angles on his sets. Like I just was like, man, people need to be talking more about this kid because that's how good he is as a player. Decker is a good football player, so don't. It's not like oh, it's like this crazy disparity, but he's a little bit more of a like he's got like less mutant to his game, right? He's got less like of that yeah. crazy high upside. He's just like a good solid player you like we would like he would be awesome for this team he's like he's like charles leno like that's that kind of player good player good pro been around for a while kind of an unconventional set um makes it work and um but a guy that i think sweat would match up much better with than a guy like sewell Take Command Podcast, Odyssey Sports. I'm Greg Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. We wrap up with a quick mailbag question. This one was sent uh, from Kenny to Logan at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Although Logan forwarded it to me, so I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm going to try to try to yeah try to try to narrow it down a little bit because uh, Kenny long, had like man. a long thought uh, that he wanted us to try to make sense of. Uh, but I, I think it's good. And, and basically he says, I think the drastic ups and downs of Carson Wentz are not accurate, rather a narrative for every QB and want to see if you think I'm making sense. You know, you have your Brady's, your Rogers, your Allen Watson, Herbert, Wilson, Mahomes, et cetera, uh, that are more consistently up. And you have basically the rest of everybody else who's got a lot of ups and downs. Uh, Matt Ryan, you know, Winston, Trubisky, Carr, Jimmy yeah. G, Cousins, uh, even Dak, et cetera. Um, some have the amazing ups and drastic downs like Wentz and some like Cousins don't have his drastic scale, but all of them are not elite. Why is there such a focus on Wentz? Do you want to go first or do you, would you like me to give my theory first? Um, I'll pop in first, I guess. And I think the thing about this that I think is interesting is there is there is a certain level of, of variance to Carson Wentz's game. And what I mean by that, like, quarterbacks all go through ups and downs. Like there's no doubt. I think that's right on what Kenny said. But I do think like when you look at Kirk Cousins, for example, his ups and downs are different, right? There's a conservativeness to his game that keeps it from getting really high variance. Matt Ryan, I played with him, a little bit more conservative. And again, it prevents that really high up and down, right? With Carson Wentz, with Jameis Winston, I think it's Jameis, Jameis is another great example of this. Yeah, There is this kind of hunger to make a play and a lack of awareness in certain situations that lead to big swings, right? Big swings. And I thought Carson in this last game resembled more of a Kirk Cousins. And I know he threw two picks and that's crazy, but those were very outside of that, very consistent. Didn't put the ball in the harm's way a ton. That's not traditionally, like at least over the last two years, how Carson has played. So there is, there tends to be kind of these turnover worthy plays. That's a PFF term where the ball's in harm's way 
And that leads to more variance. So in this game, very low. And I think his description of Carson kind of being maybe unfairly targeted with this criticism is right on. But I think on the whole of his career, there's a lot more of that to his game than than Kirk, um, you know, think of name your quarterback, even Jared Goff, right? Like there's a conservativeness yeah. to this game with, and the way they handle the football that prevents this crazy swing of up and down. Yeah, I, I think a couple of things. Um, one, in terms of the actual merit of the argument, right? The variance in the game. One, when the highs are higher, the drops are more significant, even if you drop yes. in the same place. Great and so point. when Carson makes the throw like the one he does to Terry, you're like, wow, why can't he do that all the time? And it's like, well, that's not really how NFL quarterbacking works. The defenses are too good, um, you know, schematically and personnel-wise. You just That throw is not available very often. And But when it's there, there's only five guys in the league that can make it, and Carson's one of them. So right. yay. Touchdown, <laughs> touchdown commanders. Um, I also think that the the mistakes um, feel a little bit more significant as well. Yeah. I used to have this this uh, saying I would go back to all the time when talking about Cousins when I was on the beat and, and he was here of like, Kirk's mistakes are often incompletions or even completions and not interceptions. You know, Kirk right. would, you know, everyone would be going crazy about well, he missed a wide open guy. And by the way, the people would not just be fans and, and media types. It'd be like Jay and Sean would be like, <laughs> the post is open, man. Like we schemed yeah. all week for it. You got the exact yeah. look. You looked at it. Why didn't you throw it? Right. And he would check it down and get 12 yards. But you're like, that's the most frustrating 12 yards we've ever seen in my life. Like, can you just right. throw the freaking post to Sean Jackson's wide open? And he's so gotten better at that, that too. He's gotten he better has. at that. Too. He so has. Like that, that's, that's the change, a positive change. For right. Yeah. Like, but then the fall, you know, if your mistakes are you're missing a 30 yard throw or worse, throwing an interception, like the highs are higher, the lows are lower. So the roller coaster yeah. feels more significant. Right. The other thing I would say simply is this, is that Kenny, I'm guessing is a commander's fan. Uh, especially yeah. if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, so thanks. Hi, Kenny. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I, I would encourage Kenny to listen to Detroit radio, to listen to podcasts from San Francisco, to listen, like pick the quarterback you don't think is getting enough attention and go listen to that. You know, the Odyssey market. station on the f- always free Odyssey app uh, in that market or, or, you know, are we have these podcasts for, I think every NFL team at this point, or if not, we're very close. Like, they're going to be talking the same way about their quarterback. And I, I do think that sometimes we get in local media and local fan bases, we very much get in a bubble. And we were talking about this earlier in the week as well. Like when when people are critical of Del Rio for not being able to uh, stop a slot receiver, like how much football do you watch? Watch around the league. Nope, nobody yeah. else can either because of the rules, because of the skill, because of the way offensive uh you know, philosophy has shifted to realize the value of that position. And you can't give Scott Turner credit for doing that stuff well and then criticize Del Rio for never defending it uh, when he's actually not never defending it. But it's just really hard. And so the reason we talk about Wentz so much, the reason we focus on Wentz is because he's the guy here. And I yeah. don't think that there's really that much undue narrative pressure, discussion, etc on a national scale on Carson, maybe a little bit. He's a former number two overall pick that, you know, and, and formerly played at an MVP level. And that's going to bring a little bit more scrutiny. But I, I do think that, you know, the, the narrative around him is the same as a guy like Jameis, who's pretty much in the same position, former number one overall pick, never quite played at the MVP level, but has certainly had a, a lot of ups and downs in his career. And, also, yeah, and to Kenny's point and to your point, like, I think there is, there are narratives that the national media cultivates. And so it's always surprising to me, like a guy, I watch a lot of films. So like when we go watch 
Uh, let's take Detroit because that's what we just watched, right? Yeah. And everyone's like, "Oh, Detroit sucks." It's like, no, they don't. No, suck. they don't. Like they're they're like a they're like a an NFL football team who's probably a quarterback away, which is what the Commanders have been for a long time. Quarterback away, maybe a number one receiver, maybe some personnel on defense. It's but it's not like this. It's not like what it's been, right? And there are national like you think about it, if you're a national media personality, you go with the easiest story. Right. You just say, oh, like this is what Detroit's been. This is what people are saying. I'm going to read the top five things on Twitter. Boom. That's my take on this team. I, they don't have time to go watch every single team. So the, the 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 messaging on Carson Wentz for a long time has been the variance. Right. And when you look at his 2022 season, 2021 season uh, yeah. in Indianapolis, yeah, like he, yeah. I'd say the first nine games were pretty consistent from him. Right. He just did a really nice job of being where he's supposed to be and doing what he's supposed to do. Then he had probably four games where that high variance play came back. And so then even though he was quieting the narrative, it pops back up. And I think that's the thing with like statistical analyses, for example, like it's not one game. It's not four games. It's the body of work. And over the course of his body of work, you do see a little bit of pendulum swinging more so than you do with a guy like Matt Ryan, for example. Right. And when you're the Carson Le- uh, Wentz level of quarterback or Matt Ryan level of quarterback, frankly, you know, post like MVP year, um, sometimes you're going to play defenses that are better than you and you're not going to look right. And sometimes you're better than the defense because you're kind of right above average. And so more often than not, you're going to look pretty, pretty solid, if not really good. And then some weeks you're going to face the best defense in the league and you're probably going to look bad. And instead of yeah. blaming it on on the defense or crediting the defense, the fan base is going to be like, why does our guy suck? And it's like, he doesn't. It's just they're really good. And I think often the the answer to like, why did that thing go poorly for my team is the other guys are paid a lot of money too. And sometimes we don't give the other team enough credit no matter who the other team is. All right. Uh, if you want more mailbag questions, we would love them. This is a great way to end the pod. Uh, each week you can... Go ahead and hit us at Hoffman Show on Twitter, at Logan underscore Paulson82 on Instagram. Next time you will hear from us, Sunday morning, countdown to kickoff. We'll be live on the Team 980 and 106.7. The fan for Burgundy and Gold Game Day starts at 106, uh, starts at 8 a.m. on 106.7. The fan with Earl Forsey, the, the co-stream, if you will, the... Uh, the, the broadcast on 980 picks up at 9 o'clock, and then we are on both all the way through up until kickoff. So make sure that you lock us in starting at 10 on either station or on the always free Odyssey app. Uh, Logan, any, anything else as, as we head on full steam for pregame and, and ultimately this game against no, man. Detroit? I'm really excited for this game. I'm excited to talk about it with you on Sunday. All right, we'll see you all then. Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And we'll see you next uh, Monday morning for Take Command.